people have the best feedback when they're like trying to do something or figuring out a problem. That's when they're most likely to be thinking about the possible solutions, questioning how it works and being confused. That's the time. One characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success. It was grit. And we're starting. <laughs> PPP. <laughs> okay, there's that. In post-production, we can drop in the actual rap air horn there. Nice. Well, I was saying P because, you know, PPP loans. So Payroll protection. Yeah, I want to th- drop that in there. We're trying out new intros since... Workshopping. So, yeah, I don't know if that worked, but, you know, we'll go with it. Whatever. So, but what did work is our payroll protection program loan application. Boom. So, Bank of America coming in clutch finally, a couple weeks, yeah. three <laughs> weeks later. Said no one ever. Yeah. But. Well, not that like we, I guess, deserve any of this money, but everyone's getting it, I guess, that wants to apply for it. So, well, not everybody, but theoretically. Yeah. Hopefully, this second round will be a little more effective. Yeah. So, yeah, we got that yesterday, the funds. Well, on Friday, we got a note. Like everything that we ever got from Bank of America during this process in terms of an email was like incredibly vague and in no way made you feel comfortable that you were getting the loan until like numbers showed up in your bank account. It was always yeah. like, congratulations. And you're like, oh, did we get it? It would be like, congratulations. You have been approved, but we're waiting to blah, blah. And it would be like, it would make you feel like you got it. And then like, have all the legal jargon to basically say it's not you know if we don't end up giving this to you like you know that's still a possibility it's basically like congratulations someone got to your application in this giant stack yeah. and we sent you this email so feel good about that <laughs> but yeah we got it yesterday the funds were deposited into our account so i mean i'm super happy with the money that we got <laughs> Like it's definitely going to help us. We didn't get that much as it probably compares to most companies, I guess, that were kind of like in a similar boat. Like if you have, if you have full time like W two employees in the U S. and you have like you know like four to ten of employees, like you're probably getting a lot more than we're getting. We're actually only able to, I guess, we were only able to apply for my salary and your salary because we're the only W two employees. Technically, everybody else is outside of the U.S. and paid it. You know, they're not W two, so and they're not in the U.S. So we weren't able to cover all of our employees' payroll, but we were able to cover our own, and that's obviously way better than nothing. So we'll take it. Just to clarify, that's purely the loan, the loan covering our people, not us as a business. So right for anyone out there listening, we are still paying people. <laughs> uh, we, we just only got the loan for ourselves. So yeah, it's better than nothing. And totally like within a week of submitting, I pretty much had assumed it wasn't going to happen. So yeah, I feel a little bit more comfortable. Really, it just gives us time. Like it gives us, you know, as we talked about on previous episodes, we have been impacted a little bit. And it's mostly been companies that have told us they need to pause for they say like a month or foreseeable, you know, couple months. So I'm hopeful that things will start to at least go from like nothing to something <laughs> with some of those customers in the next couple months. So during that two month time frame, this loan will be, well, I guess it'll be a grant if we use it, will be super helpful during that time yeah. when we have those pauses. So yeah, it feels good to get it. But again, it's kind of like, it does feel like sort of fake, right? Like it's like helping our accounting, but it's not like a real thing. Like we didn't like produce that revenue. I don't know. 
or money. Yeah, like you said, it just buys a little time, and hopefully, hopefully, it's enough. I guess we'll see. We'll see how many more trillion dollars we have to pump into everybody to survive this thing. Yeah, what's that business? I think it's. I want to say it's business casual. You told me about that podcast. I think is that the Morning Brew one? I think so. I think it is. So, anyways, I started listening to that podcast after you mentioned it a while back and there was an episode recently with what is his name i can't remember his name but he's the head of bridgewater associates which is like the largest hedge fund and he wrote principles ray dalio i think yeah is his name yep anyways really really interesting episode if you get a chance to go check it out i listened to some of it okay there's like a two-part it's like two podcast episodes with him yeah i felt like the first part that one i'm like that podcast I listen to intermittently, but I think she does a pretty good job asking questions, but I felt like he was just kind of saying whatever he wanted to say. It seemed like not that those, the things he was saying were not interesting, but it didn't feel like they were exactly answers to some of the questions, but maybe give it a little bit more time or maybe it was the second one that I liked. I can't remember. I've listened to it twice now, both of them just trying to like understand it more, but he's talking about like all the, obviously all the money that's being dished out for small businesses for individuals and families with stimulus checks and like what all this, you know, what all this means past, you know, two months down the road with what's being passed out and, you know, how this affects the economy and and how things like this, like when we were in the Great Depression, like very similar things were done and how that affected things and like, you know, all that. So I would definitely check it out. It's interesting. Oh, yeah. I think part two was like if he were president or something. I didn't listen to part two at all. (laughs) And she was like, so are you considering? He's like, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, no, I have a good life. I'm not going to go down that road. It seems like anybody that actually is like at least somewhat intelligent would not try to be president. (laughs) Like it seems like the worst or just in politics. Like it just I mean, there's obviously merit to it. But gosh, it would be just a rough. Yeah. A rough life. You're live. opening yourself up to a lifetime of, I don't know. Scrutiny and pain. Yeah, doesn't seem fun. Not to mention just literally running for president sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, anyways, so we got that. So that was nice. And yeah, not much else has changed. We're just kind of grinding it out and just trying to focus on shipping features and products and all that good stuff. So, But last week, as we rambled throughout the episode, we stumbled upon something that like comes up pretty frequently for us like something that annoys us which is this whole idea of like a lot of companies treating customer support as just sort of like closing tickets and closing tickets quickly and anyways i figured we'd we'd really try to focus on that topic for this episode and just talk about why that's annoying (laughs) to us what we think it should be and what you should be focusing on from a customer support standpoint and really why we we actually built a you know a business and product off of that mantra but yeah you want to take a stab at kicking that off yeah yeah so i guess obviously there's some caveats or upfront assumptions one of which is we're talking about b2b saas mostly like that's what we know and obviously all of this could be very different if you're in b2c or in different types of industries or kind of markets where support can look very different. But for the people we've worked with and the businesses we've built, I guess those tend to be like a little bit, you know, you're charging money, you're charging a decent amount of money, and you have probably fewer customers than a B2C business. 
and you have support channels that your paying customers can access. So I guess those are the disclosures that I have. <laughs> I don't know if you have any to add, but obviously there's a lot of things that we don't know about those other places that have different dynamics, but this is for us what we've seen to be effective, especially if you're bootstrapping and you're trying to charge money to kind of, you know, afford to run your business and build your business and also to weed out kind of the the tire kickers and such. But it's sort of weird to see people who are bootstrapping who spend all this time trying to raise money basically from customers and then they also treat support like this sort of burden that they have to carry and they try to basically the gist is like so many people try to treat support like this you know if someone writes in about something the mission is to close the thing like i mean even the language and i think we went on someone was going on about this on twitter but it, it's like the language we use tickets and kind of open and closed and close rate time to first response and stuff i mean some of these are metrics that can be useful but calling someone's question a ticket and like sending them automated emails that are like your ticket number 7000 and we've received your request a human will be in touch i mean it's sort of this machine like it just doesn't feel human and it, when i'm on the other end of it i don't feel great about it and it doesn't really inspire confidence and as you know someone who runs software products it doesn't help me to think of it like that like treat these things like conversations and it's a two-way thing there are certain cases where you definitely know like there are definitely situations where the person is writing in might be maybe they're being a little bit aggressive or going out of their way to be rude and maybe they're also wrong or you know they're talking about things they don't know enough about but it doesn't mean you should treat them like tickets and there's still probably something you can get out of it even if it's hey like maybe you're not a fit or hey let me enhance our documentation or maybe we should write a blog post about how our product works or you know different features to help clarify to give people the right expectations about what's supposed to happen. There's almost always something you can get out of it. And I think treating them like things that are to be gotten rid of as fast as they can is just the wrong way to do it. And I see so many where it's someone writes in and you get a response and then it's like the way that the response is crafted is it's like open and shut. And even worse, as someone who's done support, I always take time to like provide screenshots and recordings and detail about what I did to get to that point and how like if it's a bug report, for example, the number of times I do that and I get a response back that says it's clearly just a canned response that says like, can you do steps one, two and three? And it's I've already done them in the initial email. It's so infuriating. And it took, you know, three days for them to respond with a canned response. And then now there's another three days for me to be like, I already did that. See my first email. And then three days later, I get another response. It's like, oh, okay, let me look into it. I understand there are scaling challenges and stuff depending yeah. on how your customer base looks, but it's just lazy, frankly. Yeah. Like we're no place to be like, oh, we have like the craziest support load ever and we still do it this way. That's definitely not the case. But there are companies that do have, like we've worked with companies that have lots of users and they still don't do it that way, right? Um, I'd say it's pretty rare that you see that, but it can be done. Why do you think people like still why do they choose to do it that way? Like, why do they go the ticket route or closing things quickly route, kind of creating lazy processes and templates for their teams to push out to people? Like, why do you think they do that? I think there's a few reasons. I mean, one is a lot of that's de facto language. So you're kind of trained to think in those terms. Even when you're shopping for help desk tools, like often that's what you're kind of being faced with is 
look at all these cool things we can do. And even the automation stuff, which can be super helpful, might lead you down a path of it's kind of like a sharp knife. You don't want to just wield it. However, you might want to use it delicately. And But it, they make it easy to kind of like, oh, set up these canned replies, which obviously can go stale. And no one talks about that part. And we'll issue ticket numbers and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of it's optimized for the team running support in a way that fits what they want their internal process to be, as opposed to running support in a way that helps customers get what they need and ultimately improves the business. So I think that's like the fundamental thing. I mean, we do our best at every aspect of the business, like we're going to do our best. And I think (laughs) I'm by no means an expert in really anything, but I do feel like we're pretty good at this, like at this particular part of the business. I feel like this is like definitely a strong suit for us. And I think, you know, any customers that have ever worked with us would say so. But I think the one problem is that a lot of those metrics and things you were talking about, like where people are like, we need to close tickets fast or do, you know, whatever. Like, it seems like it's like, it's just laser focused on operations instead of like the actual customer. (laughs) Cause I think if you do it right and you focus on the customer, you're going to both improve the experience the customer has. And also you're going to bring value to your company specifically in the form of feedback of some sorts or some sort of insights So on that note, I know we try to focus on capturing something. Maybe that's the wrong word. I know you don't like that word, but (laughs) it's not, it's not bad. Gathering or learning something from every conversation. Do you want to talk about like what you tried to do in any given conversation you're having with a customer in terms of like gathering feedback? Yeah. I think real quick about kind of why is this the norm? I think also it's idealistic. It reminds me of what I kind of referenced last episode where talking about self-service billing or something where it's like in an ideal world, we have these five plans and everyone goes and pays for one and everything is easy and whatever. But that's not how the... Especially if you're bootstrapping and you're trying to kind of customize what your offering is for different people based on their needs and then grow your business and do price experimentations. Like It's not going to run that way or it probably shouldn't run that way. I think it's similar where, hey, I'm bootstrapped, I'm solo or I have a small team. I don't have time to spend on all this support. I'm going to write all these great help desk articles. I'm going to do some canned replies and you know, I'm going to minimize the amount of time I'm spending on support. It's like an ideal that you think you can reach and oh, everyone will just be able to solve their own problems. But I think it's it's kind of a trap to, that we fall into to think right. that. And not only is it not true that that's always the case, but I think it's a disservice to your business to you're basically shutting yourself off from a bunch of great feedback and I guess that's kind of a transition into what you're asking, which is, you know, how do we look for that? And it's like you said, I mean, I guess we've been kind of doing it for a while now, but it's really just treat it like a, if you treat it like a conversation that you're having with someone, like a friend or anyone who's talking to you about a problem that they're having or a question they have about how something works and it's something you know about, the goal would be like making sure you understand their problem and then identifying possible solutions or even admitting that you don't know the solution and that you'll go figure it out or you have plans to potentially solve that problem later and you'll share with them. I mean, there's so many different paths that that takes, but it's not fundamentally different from just real life talking to someone about something. And I think that's a mistake where we treat it like we're the experts and you're asking me a question and I can like direct you to a help doc and just be done with you. Yeah. But really, like maybe the help doc isn't clear. That, that's another thing. Like I'll refer people to help docs and then also like try to get feedback. Like, does this make sense? Is this right? Because we know so much about this inside and out that sometimes our writing isn't different. We are writing for a different audience. Like yeah. if we're writing it, f- for ourselves instead of for the people who don't know everything like we do. It's also like me as a user. And sometimes I like going to a help desk article on my own 
and not talking to somebody if it's pretty simple and straightforward, but a lot of times it's not. And that's why I like have the question in the first place. And sometimes help desk articles and things like support in that framework is actually, it's just a lot more work for me. Like I have to go do like research essentially when I could easily cut through the BS and just be like, and I ask, Hey, like, why is this work this way? Or how do I do this? And I can just get a quick, you know, answer back and kind of cut through all the noise. Whereas a lot of times, like a lot of times you see, that's something I see with a lot of help desk articles. I try to stay away from doing it myself, but they're very long. It's almost like for help desk articles or like your entire help center, how can you break things down into like very small little bits of information and like common questions people have? Like once you have these long articles you have to dig through and then like each one has a bunch of links off it and it's like, oh my God, like (laughs) I feel like I'm like, it's just too much. I'm spending too much time for just a question that I have. So, and I think there are like, I'm someone who will often take the time to do that research especially if, like if it's a service or tool that we use that I know the support's going to take three days, I'll probably just go try to figure it out myself. But I think that's where like thinking of help docs as a replacement for support versus thinking of them as augmentation for your support team. Like there are references that, yeah, your customers can find them, but also your support team can use them when people reach out and then kind of augment them with the appropriate customization and make sure that they're actually meeting the needs of the people. And some of the things Intercom and other help desks are doing too, I think are cool where if someone chats in, you can even like suggest articles based on keywords that they're using and stuff. So like that's another way where like the experience for the customer is still pretty good because they're chatting into a support team, but they're also getting suggestions like, oh, maybe like surfacing things that I don't have to go dig for, which is kind of a nice hybrid, I think. Right. Everybody's different, right? Like I think that is also a challenge because users are different and they certain users want more kind of one-on-one help i actually do prefer that in most cases not every case but in most cases if i have a question it's usually like because i'm like totally stumped <laughs> like i have no idea and like i don't want to go like research a bunch of stuff i just want you to tell me actually i'll talk about a good one that i had recently that i was having a lot of challenges with was remote team So I've been trying to set up our whole, like all of our remote team payroll and everything on remote team, which is the name of the product. (laughs) Aptly named. Yeah. So anyways, there was a bunch of things that I am in no way like an expert on the HR side or setting up payroll and all this stuff. And so, you know, I generally have a lot of questions here. So some were probably super, super dumb questions, but they just were questions I had. But instead of like, I tried to dig around in their knowledge base a little bit. And again, it's really hard to get that right. And it didn't always answer my question or maybe I couldn't find it or whatever. And so I've reached out multiple times. Every time I've reached out, I've gotten randomly, I've gotten the founder, which I know they're like a a decent sized team, but I've gotten the founder and he's been super helpful, super responsive, always following up, asking more questions, trying to help in different ways. He's jumped on multiple like calls with me, screen shares to like walk me through something He's like made introductions to all these, like to other products or other like consultants of like some like accounting thing that I had questions around. He's like, oh, we use this guy. Like you should check him. Like just help in a million different ways. And had he not done that and not brought that sort of support, I probably would have just like bolted and like stuck with what we were doing before just because it's like too much work to have to like go and, and change if I can't get 
help and answers quickly to walk me through it. And now that we're all set up and we're we're good to go, like, you know, I'm I'm happy with it, right? And so everybody's a little bit different in terms of like how they like to receive support. And I do think there are certain situations where you might want something else versus the one-on-one stuff, but like it just feels so much better <laughs> to me to get that. And it's honestly more helpful to me when I can just talk to somebody quickly and you know, they're going to not just give me like a quick answer or a knowledge base article, but like actually talk through stuff. Well, and I think too, it's just like getting to know people. I think you get to know a support team and how they are and how they operate. And that will kind of, if you are someone, let's say, who's going to stick around as a, as a customer, it kind of trains you or kind of sets your expectations on how to interact with them. And I think that's also an interesting component of it because obviously live chat can have an expectation of immediate response times and faster resolution times and which is great for the customer but potentially detrimental to the team if it's very disruptive and you're small whatever but what's interesting is like the first few experiences if you set up an expectation that you're responsive i think the anxiety around responsiveness comes when you don't have a sense of like people's follow up so sometimes i'll write in fill out a form and send a support thing in like a generic contact form. And just at best, I get an email that says, you know, your ticket number five. And there's no sense of like, when someone sees it, or when am I going to hear back or anything like that. And I think if you can take that anxiety out of the equation, then the time to resolution and the time to respond in each, you know, back and forth is less important. It's more about giving people the confidence that you are listening and you are working to help them solve their problem. I think like ultimately that's what they care about. If it takes two days or five days, as long as they know you're listening and responsive, like not even fast, just generally you're going to respond to them and they trust that and they have high confidence in that, then I think that's good enough. I think that's like a nuance that people miss. They're just like, oh, live chat makes people think I need to be available all the time. So I I just turn it off. I don't think that's necessarily bad, but I think the problem is that if you have that mindset, you might also be pretty slow to respond on email and then you kind of set the expectation that you're slow to respond and and you're not listening. So like so many of my conversations, I snooze and follow up, do follow-ups. I guess that's another kind of aspect of this too that I, I try to do is I try to do at least one or two loopbacks with people. So like if someone writes in and we have a back and forth for a while, a conversation, trying to clarify what's going on, we come to some sort of resolution, whether we showed them how to do something or they clarified what they're trying to do and we, you know, logged it as an idea. I still follow up to be like, do you have any other feedback? Or does that make sense, the solution? Were you able to implement it? Like do one or two follow-ups on that at least and give people a chance to either reopen that conversation or share other thoughts because you have a line of communication going with people who pay for your product or, or are considering paying for it. And I think that's another element of it. The funny thing is like that particular strategy is like probably so frowned upon at some of these companies. It's like, don't give them any other reason to like, like don't try to stay in this conversation. You're not going to close stuff quickly, like all that jazz. But the truth of the matter is like, you probably will have less incoming support if you were to really try to dig in and have longer conversations with customers when they engage with you. Like you were talking about like, if somebody engages with you and they have a question or whatever, you answer it, you try to help them in some way. Instead of just like totally closing it out there, like digging a little bit deeper, maybe asking, is there anything else that has, you know, like you've run into that's caused you like some questions or some trouble or whatever, like doing that and digging a little bit more gives you a chance to answer those now or help them 
kind of in a more holistic way now. And so those things don't crop up down the road or those people don't like leave without you even knowing why they left. (laughs) And that's a big one. I mean, that's a big part of it is, you know, you're in an active conversation with someone if they're being responsive and giving you time out of their life. Because if someone writes in and says, you know, I click the button, it doesn't work. And you're like, oh, let me fix that. Okay, it's fixed or wrong button. Click this one. That's great. But you now have their attention. You know, that's That's especially these days and times. (laughs) It's everyone's competing for that. So take the opportunity to at least open the door to see what else. Maybe they're considering leaving. Maybe they're considering upgrading. Or I mean, there's just so many things. Maybe they have some great ideas that you could learn from. Maybe they don't have any of those things. But what's the harm in doing a couple follow-ups just to at least make an effort to understand that? But to your point, like that's completely at odds with like closing conversations as fast as you can or whatever. I guarantee you. In fact, I've actually heard like I've been around like customer success leaders like while they're talking to their, you know, like one-on-ones with their customer success reps. And I've heard them say, like, you've got to stop like asking so many questions or kind of like continuing the conversation. You're not going to be able to hit your ticket, (laughs) your ticket metrics. Yeah. Like you got to, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? Like, I've heard this. These are companies everybody knows about. And I'm not going to say names or anything, but I've been like a fly on the wall and heard these things. So I know they're happening. And I know they're happening a lot of companies. Like the focus is again is so much on these like operational type things instead of you know listening to customers and learning something. Like there honestly should be. We talked about this before. We never really put it into writing or like taking it past just talking about it. But there should be metrics for like we try to like learn something from every single conversation. So like it's simple to say like maybe from every conversation if you can pull away like one to three insights from that conversation whether the insight is a feature request whether it's you know some negative feedback on the ui or something or whether it's like some common questions that they're asking and that you see a lot of times a lot of customers and you can like okay you know add another one to the tally here so it's like oh this question keeps getting brought up you know maybe we need to write a help help desk article or whatever but it's like you can take away something at least one thing if not quite a bit more from every single conversation and not just the things that they say to you, but like when you at, like you digging for more and asking more questions about why they said that, there'll be like another two things that pop up, right? So there should be like a metric for companies to focus on like, you know, <laughs> this little, some self, like insights self-promotion. Per conversation yeah, or something. exactly. Like for us, it would be, we call them likes in user feed. If a user gives feedback, whether it's new or something that we're already tracking, we call it a like. I don't know. That's not like a, <laughs> it's not like a revolutionary thing. You see them on Twitter all the time, but likes. So it's like something like that. If it's like whatever way that you, you know, capture insights or or whatever, you know, if you can set some sort of metric on a monthly basis for people to try to gather more of those, or at least some sort of like basic standard there, you know, at least that's another thing kind of in the corner of getting you to talk to customers and ask more questions and really listen instead of just focused on closing tickets. Yeah. Again, like I know this stuff varies across companies and markets. And I just want to keep saying that because I know people will tell me that that is the case. Yes, I know that. But it kind of reminds me too of development on the development side. Like everyone's trying to come up with a process that is all driven by numbers and like metrics and, oh, we do estimates and we can do our velocity and all, you know, story points and all this junk. And I get it. And I think that there's some value to having those as measures. But at the end of the day, it's a very human process. And there's a lot of human interaction, especially in support, obviously. 
that like on the dev side, it's like there's like complexity and some of it's discovered and et cetera, et cetera. But on the support side, some of that is still true. And then you're interacting with multiple humans. And so there's a lot of just nuance there. And I think boiling it down to like three numbers, it's just not realistic. And there's a saying I've heard somewhere recently that I really like, which is when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. I feel like that's happens a lot in support where like you're using time to, you know, number of tickets closed per week to kind of get a sense of the volume. And then suddenly it becomes this thing that you start measuring, like instead of just measuring yourself and seeing what that number is, you're like, hey, we need to be doing at least this every week, which I think is just the wrong way. Like you've now changed everyone's behavior. So now the measurement doesn't make any sense. So what you're saying has me thinking though, I'm like, it's like insights per conversation. I think there's some interesting things around that. And there's some related things because the way I kind of do it implicitly is, you know, I've had a conversation with someone, we go back and forth. I'll usually do a couple snoozes and follow-ups. And if either I'll do like two or three, and then if they don't respond, I just stop because it's annoying. Or I'll let them like, they'll chime in after one or two and say like, I'm good. Or they'll kind of reopen a new thread. And like, there's something there too, where it's like, you could have stopping conditions for like when you can consider it kind of done because they're kind of saying it's done explicitly or implicitly. And then even things like if you're doing a bunch of extra, it's like, how much time did you spend after the initial conversation? There is a chance that you're wasting time if you're spending like doing a weekly follow-up for a year, like maybe you shouldn't be doing that. So there are some like soft guidelines, I think around that stuff too. Yeah, for sure. Like, obviously there's this whole idea of scale that everybody is so obsessed over. Like everything has to be the scalable process. Every team has to be scalable and every especially on the support side, right? As you scale your customers, like we've got to build a scalable support process and team and all that all that stuff. But like you look at these, we've talked about it before, but the, the large companies like AT&T and Comcast and all, just any large scale business <laughs> and their scaled support teams, it sucks. Everybody hates the support that they receive there and any interaction that they have with those companies in that process. So this idea that you've got to start building this at like these early stage companies or even mid-stage, like it just, obviously there are some things again that, that you have to do to be able to scale. But this, I think like be very careful how you <laughs> go about scaling your communication with your customers because there's almost nothing more important in a business. Yeah. And I think in a vacuum, it's hard to say, but this is connected to pricing and sort of more broad business questions. Because at the end of the day, at some level, like you're going to have to scale your support as your customer base scales. Like there's no way around that. It might be one support person per one customer, or it might be, you know, one support person per 10,000. I don't know, but it's probably somewhat linear. And, you know, that fundamental fact kind of can make you think too about pricing. Like maybe if you're finding that there's like a high support burden for your product and you're only charging $10 a month, like maybe you should charge more. Instead of thinking of it like, how do we minimize people asking us questions? It's like, oh, you know, people want this tool. Can we see if they're willing to pay more to get a better and even better service experience from us? And instead of just trying to like, I think too, like I'm a developer and I like to make stuff. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to talk to customers. I don't want to make stuff which I can relate to on some level, but there's also so much value in talking to people because it makes sure that you don't waste so much time making yeah. the wrong stuff. Well, on that note, so we at UserFeed, we work with a lot of customer support or customer success folks and a lot of 
product folks. And we do see like, I wouldn't say we see it a little bit from some of our customers, but a lot from like potential customers and leads and stuff that come, come through is this idea like as product, like on the product side, like somehow your conversations with customers are like more important than all the other conversations with customers that your business is having, (laughs) specifically the support conversations that your company is having with customers, like somehow like it's like product feels like entitled that their conversations are like better and more important and that only theirs count and that they all need to be like these like interview style calls with customers and and that's yeah, how you get data research. research something something yeah it's insight. like and what makes you so like <laughs> like there's a lot of talented product folks out there but you can't tell me that you're just so much more intelligent and so so far beyond everyone on the customer success side that they can't also be having those conversations with customers and they can't also be gathering those insights from customers. It's just not true. So I think that's like a common thing that comes up that annoys me. Yeah, I mean, at a minimum, they're like separate initiatives or that are in a related, you know, with a related mission of uncovering people's needs and wants and problems and questions and et cetera. Like, well, if anything, it gives you like a quick... It's like a you know support team or customer success team is kind of like on the front lines, like learning things from the customer and now can like set it up on a tee for you on the product side to have additional conversations and go deeper with that customer if you want to. So totally. it's like, that's the obvious use case, if not even just letting customer success team run with a lot of those conversations. Yeah, I know we've talked about this before in the past, but I think this is also kind of an issue for us on the positioning side that we run into. And it's kind of related to this, which is when people come they're looking for like a feedback tool. But to them, what that means is a completely self-serve place where I don't have to do me business, you know, business owner or, you know, product or support person. I don't have to do any more work. And my customers will just volunteer their time and energy to come tell me everything that matters to them. And and also somehow that stuff will be like perfectly like communicated and <laughs> extremely specific about what the problem actually is and just golden nuggets. Actually have full context of what we're already trying to think about doing and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas like, as you can tell from my tone of voice, that's obviously not how we see the world and that's not how we built our product. And so we have people even become customers who kind of have that worldview and it ends up usually not working out because they cancel with, you know, oh, well, we put the roadmap in our thing and no one gave us any feedback. And it was kind of like, I mean, depending on your business, there's a chance you could have gotten a lot just by doing that. But the odds are no, especially B2B SaaS. Like at some point you might have to do a little work if you want to get value from customers i hate to be the one to break that to you but yeah we've said it a little nicer than that but (laughs) the gloves are coming off over here i've actually written out some things that were not (laughs) harsher we had to yeah we had to in those conversations we'll you know write it as a note a draft somewhere first write it all out and then get somebody else to look at it and rephrase some things (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean to our detriment at times i think there's definitely this ideology out there I'd say especially with software companies that, you know, doing less is more. It's just not always the, I mean, it's not always the case. And I think a lot of, you know, when it comes to like feedback and talking to customers, it's like, how do I do less of that and get more of that? And so people, yeah, with the feedback stuff, like, hey, I'm just going to throw up like a public voter forum. Again, all my customers are going to go there, and like do all the work and give me all this good feedback. And like, I'll just be able to, you know, go work on the product and do all these other things that just get all these gold nuggets thrown at me from the customers because they want to spend all their time doing that. It's just not the case. And so we really push against that. And the customers that understand that and that really believe that 
become great customers and then those that that don't they they don't <laughs> they don't <laughs> they typically leave us so yeah it's been a challenge for us and we talked about that when we started the business it's like we definitely have opinion about this should we be opinionated about this with the product or should we not and i think we did and it's you know i think we knew that going in that it would cost us some business to be opinionated about that yeah i think our like kind of the missing piece not that it's like a piece we can just find and be done with but sort of like the area that could use some more attention is just how do we broadcast that? How do we portray that in a way that's more helpful for us to get the right people and for the people who aren't maybe a good fit to understand, you know, maybe a maybe they come around to our side, we can educate why we think this is a better way. But also just at, at a minimum to be like, if you're trying to do this, like maybe you should go here and do that. I mean, I think too, it's tricky because as a customer, you might go see like someone's public roadmap or whatever, like of a tool that everyone uses like Slack or someone like, of course, there's going to be a ton of people in there, like throwing stuff in there because everybody uses it. Right. But to assume you're like little bootstrapped or, you know, smaller (laughs) niche, whatever it is, like, even if it's like a big successful business, the odds are it's not going to have the same dynamics. And even if it does, like you're still missing out if you're getting any support volume and you're not taking the time to try to identify, you know, underlying needs there, like you're still missing that, even if people are active in your in your forum or whatever. Yeah. Like for user feed, for example, if we threw up a public voter forum type of thing from day one, like we wouldn't have very much feedback. We'd have a very low amount of feedback, I'm sure. But, you know, even now we don't have like tons of customers. We have tons of feedback. Like we've got, you know, thousands of feedback entries in our specific user feed account. And so like we talk to these companies that are, you know, I'm not getting enough feedback through their product. And it's like, well, like, are you talking to customers? Yeah. I mean, even the language they use there. And again, <laughs> I'm probably mincing words, but I mean, we're we hear about it. It's, it's yeah. Like I'm supposed to, who's giving it to you? Why, why am I supposed to just give it to you? Like, first of all, people probably are giving you feedback and you're just not taking the time to call it <laughs> that. And second yeah. of all, if no one's talking to you at all, well, you have bigger problems. But if you're expecting people to go like, to some menu somewhere or some help desk and then find some collection or find some link to your public roadmap or click some onboarding email and then click through from that to some other place to tell you stuff. Like that's just not how it works. I mean, people have the best feedback when they're like trying to do something or, you know, figuring out a problem or like that's when they're most likely to be thinking about the possible solutions or questioning how it works and being confused. Like that's the time. That's the exact time. And I think even on the help desk side, like on, when you talk about help articles, I think that's that's an element too that I'm curious to kind of explore more is how do you tie help, like give more context to help docs that usually live in like a completely separate repository. And so like obviously what we do sometimes is add a little tool tip that's like links out to a KB, which is useful. But even making that even more of a native experience kind of aligns with how we see the world. Because like at the end of the day, when I'm trying to like, solve do a job in your software even if i'm like have the energy it's like it's just more work for me to like click through to some third-party site potentially like sign in or some crap and then like explain to you where i was and what i was trying to do when i could just chat you and you could and then yeah i know it's it's tough but maybe you should do the work of logging that on your side and guess what you have full context of like what that means to you how that fits with what you're already thinking about blah 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 so yeah yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm repeating myself, but yeah. Whenever I see that on like, especially like on when it's like public too. Oh man, it like drives me insane when somebody publicly will do this. 
like basically like i'm gonna throw this name out there because tope is a good friend and i don't really care i don't he doesn't care if i like talk crap and why should he because they're like a 30 million dollar company but i see it like we used to work out of calendy's office so i follow their twitter handle and all that stuff and i'd see stuff pop up but like they get a lot of feedback on on twitter like it's usually it's like somebody like this sucks like because of x y and z and they're like angry about something not working which is a perfect time to like to get feedback and like <laughs> to help them right and so people will do that and you know they'll kindly like reach out via twitter and be like we'd love to help you like write into this support email or whatever and then they're like you know actually it's just like a feature request i need x y and z or something like that and they're like oh well if you go over to this link and submit it there we'll take a look at it at some point or whatever like well we take that stuff into consideration or whatever but even then like you're publicly like pushing them off to something else like it always bothered i i would send i like sent him that stuff and i was like you can't why is your team doing this? Like, what is happening? Well, at a minimum, if that's the approach you take, like, how about you go create the thing and send them a link to it? Like, it's yeah, the experience it's like, for them is something. like basically the same that they have to like click out. But at least you're not saying like, hey, go retype all this crap you already typed up. And yeah, it goes back to that whole scalable thing. And I'm sure there's some internal process. Like, they probably have like a, a few people that manage the Twitter handle at like different times of the day or something. And there's some like training manual or something where like if somebody asks for this or wants this or whatever, direct them to this thing, which they can go do all the work. <laughs> I guarantee that's the. Yeah, it's, it's something, some like silo situation. But I think not that there would be any way to know this or it would be worth the effort, but it would be interesting to see like the drop off there. Like if you almost treated that like a conversion, like take someone who uses that approach where they send, they direct people to go do the work on their behalf and like how much of that actually converts into actual feedback? Like I imagine that conversion rate is not high. Right. Because it's like I already I had like a whole conversation with you in Twitter or in Intercom or wherever it is. And then the end of it was you telling me to go do it all over again, basically. Like I'm not going to go do that. No, so. never. Obviously, like they have like I think maybe millions of users for sure. I don't know. Maybe they have tens. I don't know. So that's like a totally different scenario that I've never encountered. Yeah, I mean, so it's, I won't it's say hard that I'm to like com- an expert, but it still it doesn't seem out of the realm. Like they can't be getting that many tweets a day, right? They're not getting <laughs> like thousands of tweets a day. They're probably getting like like ten. So like you can do a little bit extra, like go the extra mile, do a little bit extra, like just a little bit more than that to take some of the burden off the user. Like you can't tell me that you can't do that. Well, another like a counter example, I think, and I don't know if the you know, dynamics are the same exactly. But Notion is somebody who I see, like, they get tweets all the time. And I think they do a really good job of this. I don't, I think they use Notion to like manage it. I've, <laughs> I've suddenly tried to get them to use user feed when I chat them in intercom, but they do a really good job of like, it's clearly their job. And people tweet or people, if you chat in and support, like all of it is like, at least it feels like they're listening and, and recording it and tracking it. And when they do, you know, product update and like releases they reference like hey this was a really requested thing or whatever so assuming somewhere behind the scenes are actually capturing it but they certainly don't say like hey go here and do the work on my behalf and there's someone who has like a massive user base so that's probably a good counter example yeah i feel like any support i've ever had like has felt like very personal and as if i wasn't talking to a company that had tens of millions of users <laughs> like it was like i was talking to us or something right so I mean, again, there's a lot of examples of companies that are doing this right and like doing support right. 
that are like scaled, I guess you could say, in terms of like the number of users. So it's not impossible to do. It's probably harder to do. It probably takes more time to do. But there's definitely, I mean, as we've talked about, lots of benefits to doing it that way, both for your company and also for your users. So you should be doing it. You should start early. And definitely be doing it if you're a small company like us. Like, well, that's yeah. There's no, there's no question. Yeah, because it's like people do all these customer interviews and then they start building a product, but then they like stop. They just stop that part, or they complete it. They treat it like a separate effort, like you were talking about. And it's like, hey, there's people in here like trialing it or paying for it. Like, why don't you ask them what they need? So yeah, we've heard that before, where it's like, well, we've gotten like so much feedback. Like, there's a lot of stuff we need to build. We kind of know what we need to do, so we don't really need to gather feedback. Then on like another thread, they're like, just like everybody, everyone's always like, talk to your customers and, you know, stay the close customer, to the customer. Stay close yeah. to the cu- we stay so close to the customer. But then like in reality, like under the covers, they're not, <laughs> they're just not. It sounds good on, on a Well, everyone knows they should be doing it. And so they say that they are doing it. But, sure. Yeah. But they're not. I think all my rants and raves, before we jumped on, we were like, we're going to keep this shorter. And then now here we are. But this has turned into the Joe Rogan style podcast. We've done like three of these in a row where they're like 50 minutes long. Yeah. Well, I'm all for like a good takedown. Do you want to talk about UFOs now? Well, no, (laughs) I guess like everyone else, we can just agree that no one cares for some reason. I saw some, I guess it was the recommendations on YouTube or something. Like everything is like UFOs or like Navy SEAL life or like some kind of like political theories or something like it's always the same stuff but it seems like ufos are like a pretty common topic yeah yeah we'll hit on that next time yeah totally yeah log that one so for a while there we were starting to get some guests on maybe we've done like two guests but we figured we'd start to jump on that train again so we've got like a list of you know 10 to 20 different people that we would like to have on the podcast so we're going to start reaching out to those folks and trying to get you know, at least like every other week, get a guest on and do some cool interviews. So that is on the docket for the next couple months. Looking forward to it for your pandemic podcast. So yeah, I think part of our yeah, so we'll try. I say this every time. but Well, interviews, notwithstanding, we will try to keep it a little bit shorter. But rants sometimes will drag on a bit. But thanks for sticking with us. Cool. Well, we'll talk next time. All right. Until next week. All right. See you. See you.